This is Paul Robinson. You're listening to Starseed, an intrepid adventure with Mark Glenn Moore. This is the second part of our interview with Earl Gray Anderson. And I'll give you his short biography as quickly as possible. He is MUFON State Director of Southern California and an executive member of MUFON's ERT, which is the Experiencer Resource Team, and hosted both the Experiencer Workshops, last year's MUFON Symposium in Denver, and will host the same at events in this year's MUFON Symposium in Ohio. He's personally investigated over 900 UFO reports and experiences and specializes in Experiencer slash High Strangeness cases, has appeared on multiple radio shows, podcasts, TV shows, such as Unidentified with Demi Lovato, the Travel Channel's Storming Area 51 special, and the season finale of Motor Trend Television's Motor Mythbusters, Cars vs. UFOs. He was featured in three documentaries all released this year, also represented the MUFON's Experience Research Team and shared his own experiences in the History Channel's most viewed show, Ancient Aliens. Featured keynote speaker at Oregon's 2023 McMenamin's UFO Fest, teaches an accredited course in ufology, UFOs, and other worlds at Los Angeles's Otis College of Art and Design. A singer, songwriter, and a guitarist with three CDs under his belt. You'll hear some snippets from his new single, Seventh Sister, in today's interstitials. We'll chat with him about his experiences and what he does in this world and how they compare with what Mark's experiences are. And here we go. Thanks. Well, my mom talked about it one more time. It was 1977. She said, son, you have no idea how close to the truth that movie is. The different races, the, the spaceships and all that. She said, it really is like that out there. She said, we already know. And she, she again, she reiterated what she said when I was five-year-old. She said that, uh, you know, that, that it, that we already know there's intelligent life. It's not an abstract or a question. She said, though, she said, well, the one thing I remember really well was she said, they're never, ever going to tell the public. She said, the reason why is they're really afraid of how the public's going to react. Uh, she brought up the the H.G. Wells War of the Worlds, uh, the, the radio broadcast, right? The people were jumping out of windows and acting badly. Well. <laughs> and I, I don't know, maybe she was correct. I mean, I think they're scared of how people will react now, you know? Well, I mean, it seems strange also... Uh... We, we talked to Dan Harari a while ago, and I think we spoke a little bit about that, where he saw a, 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 an object so large, it blotted everything out in the sky. And he said there were hundreds of people in his area who had to see it too, and they all somehow just forgot about it. You know? Yeah. Remember it until 50 years mm-hmm. later when he went to write that book. Right. right. That's pretty common. I and mean, I hear that too. You know, something will sometimes trigger the memories with somebody either people block it out or somebody blocks it for them you know and it's i think it's probably a combo yeah it's probably well if if they're getting the technology then maybe our guys have that technology too to be able to plot uh uh, i don't know or it could even be like our own you know our own mind protecting us from something that that uh we I mean, again, you know, <laughs> it's evolution hasn't really made us smarter. It's just, you know, fine-tuned us to, you know, beware of predators and, and think of mating and think of food, you know. 
Um, and, and, and I mean, what's war? I mean, so much energy is, is spent, misspent. Uh, I know that that's one of the reasons why they don't want the technology from the ETs out there. Uh, they don't want to have to share what they don't understand yet and, and take the chance of China or Russia or, you know, North Korea or somebody else figuring it out first. Well, uh, who, I, I, who's they? Uh, the Pentagon. Hey. Pentagon. Our Pentagon. I, I think that they're they're afraid well, of of how people are going to react is the one reason why not, and they're afraid that they're going to have to share stuff with our enemies. Do we have any idea whether China has had similar similar? Mm-hmm. They have. Russia must. Have, yes, those are big places, right? There must be. Yeah, lots of places. There's tons of sightings in Russia, isn't it? That's big, like. Russia had a similar incident that we did, uh, you know, w- with us. I mean, the Minot uh, Air Force Base, all the missiles were shut down in 1968, 1967. Same thing happened when Robert Suss was the commanding officer at Malmstrom uh, Air Force Base. A UFO hovered over, uh, shot like a laser down in there, and and it was very precise. At first, they thought that it, it sent like an electromagnetic pulse or something, but it couldn't have been because it was. It, it just turned off the missiles, didn't turn them back on, and it messed them up. But their radio and, and everything else, monitors, screens, everything else, they were working great. If it had been electromagnetic pulse, it would have shut everything off. So... Um, <laughs> I mean, the message is clear from our visitors. They do not like war. They do not like nuclear weapons. They do, they do not want a nuclear uh, event. Mm-mm. Well, maybe it That's, affects them. Well, because I mean, it, it affects it, it affects um, not just our own solar system and galaxy. It affects the universe. It goes way, mm-hmm. way beyond. And and there have been mistakes made in history, and they they whoever they are that want to protect the human race don't want it to be repeated. Yeah. Don't want it. Well, if they're inter- you know, I'm kind of like Paul Hynek. I think that it's most probably interdimensional. This is where the phenomenon is coming from. That's, that's why most of the entities people see are bipedal and, and, and relatively human looking two eyes, nose, mouth, ears, sometimes ears. One of the, one of the things that, that Paul uh, illuminated that I, th- I found fascinating is, like, if a spaceship's coming in to Earth, like, like a shuttle coming back, whatever, right? The space shuttle coming back from the moon. You can see it. And you can see it way out there, and you can project it. But mm. what's happening with these crafts that come in, they just pop up. Mm. They, you can't see them slowly coming. They just pop up. Yeah. So they're traveling in portals or interdimensional space shifts somehow. Right. They I've just, seen evidence. They can pop to that. in really fast. But it. Anyways, I, I I think that was a good observation of his. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, the tic yeah. the pictures of the tic tacs that they show. Things that shouldn't shouldn't be uh, aren't of of this uh, this set of uh, physics 
rules. Oh, no. The thing traveled at Mach 18 and, and didn't create a single sonic boom. There should have been 18 of them. Space shuttle went Mach 2, and you'd always hear that double sonic boom without fail. It'd be boom, boom, you know. But there this should have been boom, 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 but there's nothing as making 90 degree turns at that speed without becoming a fireball. Um, if one of us, if we were driving something that fast and making 90 degree turns, you'd be paced on the wall, you know. <laughs> Uh, but they carry their own gravity and their own physics with them. Apparently, it's uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. <laughs> strange and not unlike, I mean, in terms of your religion and so on. I've just heard a cool thing the other day about uh, where the quantum people are trying to figure out whether the life is eternal, and and the ones they're serious theory, the theory they had that everybody's got their own bubble, and it's time and space is applicable just to them that's their bubble right and that's what you get as long as you're until you get released from this continuum and, mm. and it's funny how similar that is to what we're talking about with quantum physics well i know that you know they create their own little bubble of space and time when you have an experience um yeah no, I mean uh, a UFO. Well, we, we can. I know you guys wanted to talk a little bit about my weird week that my wife and I had here. Yeah, why don't you why don't you talk um, about that interaction you had? Hi, this is Sandy with Olanapua here in Maui, Hawaii. I own an ocean view penthouse studio condo here at the beautiful Kanapali Shores Resort in West Maui. This oceanfront property has two pools, a restaurant, a full bar, a day spa, and on-site activity planners who will book your day trips all over the island. In addition to walking distance food shops, the resort is located just a 15-minute drive to the town of Lahaina, where you will find plenty of restaurants, shops, and live music. To check room rates and availability for your Hawaiian getaway at Aston Kanapali Shores, Unit 936, go to 124-2558. Hope to see you there. Aloha. Sure, uh, because it'll lead on to another, because that opened up, uh, I believe, teachable moments that happened afterwards. Um, well, after my mom passed away, as long as she was around, there was always a possibility that I would get the golden ticket, that she would just blah, you know, tell me everything else. And I, you know, I tried to get her to talk more. <laughs> yeah. I tried to talk about Bob Lazar, and you know, she said, "Bob, Bob Laser, that isn't a name." You know, she didn't want to talk about it. But he sounded like some of the guys. You see, my mom went. She tried being a housewife for about ten years, and she got bored sick with it. And she went on to open up a uh, what I think was mostly a front. It was a, a employment office, but she was mostly working with all the aerospace companies. Uh, she had loads of computers. Somehow or another, she learned this computer, all the computer languages. She was teaching people this stuff. And uh, she was working, you know, getting scientists uh, and, and engineers out to Northrop, to Raytheon, to Lockheed Skunk Works. 
uh, you name it. <laughs> you know, if it was an important uh, contractor with our military, it, she was she was sending people out there. Uh, and I thought Bob Lazar was kind of the kind of strange kind of guy that that she would get out to places. Uh, I know that Northrop had uh, their mainframe went down in one of their facilities. And my mom knew uh, one of my friends from school. He must have been like maybe 19 years old at that time, maybe 18. But I don't, he certainly hadn't been to college. He didn't have a doctorate. But his mother was my old math teacher. She was my teacher that failed me <laughs> in sixth or fifth grade, I guess it was. But um, he he could look at a, a column of numbers and he would instinctually know which number didn't belong there. So my mom sent him out to Northrop and none of, you know, we didn't know what he was going there to do. But my mom said, I've got a job for Robert. And so he was gone for a couple of weeks. He came back with a wad of cash and a, a, a nice car. And he said, would you like to see what I, your, the job your mom got for me? It was really interesting. He brought out one of the old school computer readout. You know how they would have the sheets that were right. sort of serrated or how, what, what's the word, you know, folded. And 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 right. it was like green and white with the black lines. And the so anyway, he opens it up and it's all these just a one long column of numbers. And it's going flip, flip, flip on the ground. And there was one number they had circled in an orange grease pencil. And he said, this is what shut Northrop's mainframe down for, for weeks. So they couldn't get anything done and they were losing money like crazy. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to figure out what was wrong and what, what number was causing problems. And uh, that's what your mom got me out to. So she was an interesting person. Um, but when she passed away, uh, there was no chance of her telling me anything again and so that's when i joined mufon and i became a field investigator I, I started reading literature on this stuff myself uh since my mom wasn't going to tell me more uh, and and i there were certain things that really kind of struck a bell uh like this this david gorish guy that that came out uh the whistleblower uh, talking about the crash materials and all that stuff. I mean, it sounds very, very similar to the stuff my mom was talking about it's, as well, way back in 1963. And, uh, but anyway... I joined MUFON, and I was kind of feeling my oats. I had been a field investigator for a couple months, I think maybe three or four months. And uh, I was trying the CE5 meditation where I was doing something very naive. And I would recommend nobody ever does this, all right? But what can I say? I, I really wanted to meet aliens. <laughs> I wanted to understand things. I would get into a meditative state, and I was sending the message out, you can abduct me if you want. You can take my DNA, but I just want, I want to meet you. I want to meet you guys, you know. I'm thinking humanoid, like, like uh, you know, Dan Harari's uh, tall Nordic benevolent guys, right? But I, I did not 
uh, no, I, I, I didn't aim it towards, I just said any, any alien out there, Hey, it's like hitchhiking. You know? Um, so I went upstairs one night, we were living in, in Burbank. We weren't in a rural area. Uh, my wife was already asleep. Uh, I put a bunch of pillows behind my, my back and I was not asleep yet. I, uh, I was getting ready to go to sleep and where our TV was in front of the bed, there was this weird swirling that I saw. Uh, the room was still dark. The first thing that I saw was this like atmospheric swirling. Uh, it was kind of a sepia tan color. It's going, I believe it was going counterclockwise. This is like a little nebula right now. Mm-hmm. It was right in front of, it was, it was maybe five feet away, six feet away from, from where I was lying down at where the TV was. And our room started flooding with light and it was light with no source. It started dimly at first, but it got brighter and brighter. Um, you suddenly could not hear the traffic outside. Uh, we had a, a cricket problem in the rafters. You couldn't hear the cricket uh, concerto. And you, you, that was always going on at night. You turn the lights out and it would be chirp, chirp, chirp. Could not hear anything like that. And the room got brighter and I was getting calmer and calmer. The brighter it got, it didn't make any sense. I mean, I'm a scientifically minded guy. Uh, and this, it, it didn't make any sense. It wasn't, wasn't like there was a source for the light. Um, the swirling got brighter and more pronounced. And then it opened up almost like if you poured cream into a cup of coffee, black coffee. This It started from the center and it just went and swirled out to the edges. And it became the seven foot opening in our, in, in space, in our, in our room. You know, I sometimes will say it, it was a hole in the wall, but it, it was, it was in front of the TV. The TV wasn't there anymore. Where the TV was sitting was this, like a hole in space. Uh, you couldn't see, I think I couldn't see like the inside of a spaceship or anything. It was just quite distance. Uh, I started feeling concerned when I, I realized that I couldn't move my fingers, my toes. All I could move were my eyes. Um, and that was really horrifying to me because uh, I worked as a nurse for many years taking care of you know quadriplegics. And suddenly I'm rendered a quadriplegic. And that's when I started getting scared. From this opening in the wall, you could see it was dramatic the way that it happened. You could see these figures coming towards me. And there was a tall figure that was like the silhouette. I mean, the light was coming from in this, the, this hole in space or in the wall, you know, however you want to describe it. Uh, these figures pulled up. They didn't walk up. It was though somebody drew them up like they were standing on a rug or something, and somebody just pulled them up to the bed. Uh, there was one on my right-hand side. There were three on the left-hand side, and they were four foot tall. And if you've ever seen the movie Paul about that little gray alien, you know, it's kind of a fun movie. But that's pretty much what they looked like, except they did not smile. <laughs> Their mouth was like an afterthought. I don't think they've used it ever. Um, maybe it's their veriform appendix or something, an organ that, that one time they used and now they don't. 
um, sort of nostrils like you'd see on a newborn infant. But the nose, again, was just kind of, but the eyes is what got your attention. And those were like three times larger than human eyes. They were engulfing. Uh, when you stared at them, uh, it put me into what I guess I would call a hypnagogic state. Um, things became more dreamlike, but it was still, I wasn't asleep. I wasn't dreaming. I could certainly feel them. They were, they were you know, touching my skin, and they, they put these tubes on my chest. I believe there were tubes on my legs, although I was at this point, I was horrified, and I'm trying to trying to communicate with them in my mind, like you would pray, you know, I'm sending, you know, what are you, please stop. And what are you doing? And, and, and they were taking my blood and they were taking life energy, or maybe it was just blood. And that's the same thing. I, I don't know. I mean, I've talked to people before, you know, about it since. And uh, I was told that, well, what do you think blood is? That's your DNA. That is your DNA. But there was almost something vampiric about it. And at this point, I was really, really scared because I thought that I would wind up like one of those desiccated cows that you see, you know, that you hear about. <laughs> because I didn't get like a calming message. I mean, there was a tall guy standing there. I'd, I'd read enough, you know, Bud Hopkins at that point to know that usually the tall creature will, will communicate with you and, and calm you and tell you you're going to be okay. It didn't happen. Was this tall creature of a different uh, look? He looked the same as them. I didn't see hair or anything like that. It just looked like a bald pate. Uh, I didn't see clothes necessarily. It was just an outline because the light was coming from behind it. But he was certainly not not communicating with me. How much taller than the, uh, the little guys, the four guys? Four he was as tall as the hole, and it was about seven feet tall. So he was he was tall. He was tall. Um, anyway, they finished what they were doing, apparently. I mean, I thought that they were just going to ex exsanguinate me, that I was that I was going to die, because especially because I hadn't gotten a calming message from them. Well, they pulled away the same way that they came in. They didn't turn around and walk. Um, they kept staring at me. And, and again, you know, if their stare hypnotizes you. Uh, you've ever heard that, uh, was it Nietzsche that said, beware, uh, if you look into the abyss, that the abyss looks back. I, for, I forget. I don't, I don't think it was Nietzsche, but, I, but that, that is what it was like. I mean, you couldn't look away from their eyes. Your wife was not in the room. She was in. She was in the room. I think, I mean, as far as I know, they made a house call. They, I don't, I don't think they took me anywhere. But I think that they they created this bubble of space in, in, in our bedroom where their physics worked, where they could open up a portal, where, you know, their their stuff worked. And you certainly couldn't hear anything outside of, of that bubble, you know. Hermetic uh, effect to it. Well, it took me, you know, the the wall closed up. The hole closed up the same way that it had opened up. It was spinning again, and it just it closed. And, it, and then it was gone, and the light started dimming. 
And when it was perfectly dark in our room, I could hear my wife breathing. I could hear sounds outside again. And the first thing that I did was scream and grab my wife and shake. And and her reaction to it was, oh, my God, you've joined this crazy UFO group. Is this the kind of thing that I have to look forward to? (laughs) So two nights later, a very weird thing happened. Two nights after that, and my wife and I didn't talk about it after. I, I was embarrassed. I wasn't going to ever ever tell anybody about it. And and you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe maybe I did have a mental breakdown or something. I mean, you know. <laughs> but she was shaking me two nights later, waking me up. And again, our room had light in it, and no lights were turned on. It wasn't coming from outside. It was, you know, it wasn't coming from a, a smartphone or anything like that. Uh, it was just this anomalous light, kind of this blue tinge to it. And my wife is pacing next to the bed, like I've never seen her do that before or since. And she said, "Oh my God, Earl." You need to tell your little friends that they need to leave us the F alone. (laughs) I don't know if young people are listening to your show. I hope not. It'd be scary. But um, she she said, uh, I didn't sign up for this. You know, your little friends. I didn't explain to her that they were minuscule. I didn't, you know, I didn't talk with her about it afterwards because she wasn't having it. I, I, half of me was horrified that my wife might have had the same thing happen to her. And the other half was relieved because at least now she knew that uh, I wasn't making things up. I had or I had a mental breakdown of some sort. Uh, two nights after that, we both woke up. Our room again was flooded with light, but this time it was also coming from outside. Uh, my wife stood on the left-hand side of the window. I was on the right. And... Whatever was shining the light down on our house, it, it, it was brighter than any police helicopter's spotlight. It was like God's own floodlight. You could see the neighbor's lights turning on. Um, I sure as heck wasn't going to go running out to the backyard to look and see who it was, what it was. We kind of knew. And into both of our rooms at the same time, Lisa and myself, uh, we heard a voice that was nobody spoke, but we heard it in our heads. And it said, don't worry, it's just the neighbor's porch light. It's almost like it was giving us something to blame it on and some some prosaic excuse. And our eyes immediately met and we looked at each other. It was so absurd because this light is still coming down, just flooding our house and our backyard. And we looked at each other and we were laughing and and we said in unison, that's no porch light. (laughs) And that's what my wife and I call our weird week. I mean, Lisa knows this is real. Uh, but she doesn't really want to have anything to do with the UFO. You know, if somebody starts saying that it's hogwash, she's like a mama lion and she's right there and, and she'll give people a piece of her mind. Um, but it's my my thing. And, and I what's really weird is, is that um, this night, the only thing she remembers about it now is, is our room flooding with light. She doesn't remember the little beads. She doesn't remember even pacing or telling me that stuff. 
And the third night, she remembers our room flooding with a light that's anomalous, but she doesn't remember having the telepathic message. It's like they, they just brainwashed that memory from her. Brain, brain cleaned her. I guess. It's like the Men in Black movie where they, they point the little, you know, dowel at the person. And, yeah, apparently they're, they, they have something like that. For some reason, I remember most everything that happened. I, I a lot of most of it, I remember like it had happened yesterday. Um, I went and told my state director for MUFON about it, and he was kind of a nuts and bolts guy, and he was he was not happy. He did the last thing he wanted to hear was his new field investigator had met aliens. Um, he's probably thinking I was, you know, wanting to start a cult or something. I, I don't know what he, 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 I thought he was going to fire me later on. He had an experience of his own. And, and now, you know, it's like my, my friend, Jeff, you know, he, he was my state director at the time. Um, he, he knows that, that this phenomena is very, very, very strange and, and, uh, but back then, he, you know, he, he thought that if somebody said they had been abducted or visited, that you should put spotlights on them and, and, you know, have two different video cameras. And it's like, no, no, no. When you've been through that, you know that you get PTSD, ontological shock. I mean, it, it, it changed my life. It changed the person I was. Um, the other thing I've noticed, though, is, is that every single person that has a contact experience, whether it's benevolent or you know, seemingly malevolent, they're left with gifts that we often attribute to our visitors themselves. Empathy goes through the roof. I mean, that I could feel people's emotions, which was something new. Synchronicity was off the hinge. I mean, I had these, you know, synchronistic... Uh, synchronicity means uh, it's a meaningful coincidence, and and it constantly happens. I mean, you know, Paul Hynek meeting him and stuff that was like a coincidence. Uh, uh, the other thing was was intuition is 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 elevated to where um, it, I seem to be able to connect the dots with uh, UFO cases much much better since this happened. It changed me as a person. How long had you been with uh, MUFON when you had this experience? It was like four months. Wow. You know, here's the thing. It's funny. You know, I, I've i got a rough relative date of when this happened. But when it happened, I was I was horrified. And, and I, I went and told my state director. It, it took for a while. Eventually, you know, I talked with Peter Robbins. He was Bud Hopkins' old assistant, and he was more helpful with it and told me that, you know, that I wasn't alone, that this happens, and that they're not all space brothers, you know. Um, but when I, I finally hooked up with Kathleen Marden, and, and we met for lunch, and I told her what happened, and uh, that was when she asked me to come and join MUFON's experience or resource team, uh, and that was about six years ago around seven years ago 
And since I've met Kathleen, I've I've before the only people I would tell this to would would be my new field investigators because I felt like I owed them a caveat, like a heads up warning that if you poke at the phenomenon, don't be surprised if it pokes back. Right. You know. Now I feel comfortable talking about it. Obviously, I'm <laughs> on your show talking about it. And you were you were with Mufon, so this is all like in the '80s. Is that right? No, this this happened um, like like eight years ago, right. almost about eight years ago, maybe seven and a half years ago when it happened. Since it happened, I've I've had some other like I had a close encounter, like a CE two uh, experience with a craft where I was about thirty thirty five feet away from a craft, the daytime sighting. And I felt the Oz effect that time, too. Again, sounds outside of my car became muffled. Time became very weird, like fluid. I couldn't tell if it was, you know, two minutes or, you know, half an hour going by. And it didn't make any sense. When I got really close up to the craft, I'm looking at it. And uh, instant 30 feet away from me, it was a mile away and like the size of a, a freaking football stadium when i first saw it it was the size of a fighter plane it was hovering over a, a private school out here in uh, the west valley san fernando valley area and it, it expanded or just you got i don't know if it expanded or it just that's what it showed me um what you see isn't always necessarily what is there that's that's what i'm finding out about this phenomenon. it can mimic things it, it can shape shift and uh, and it can also you're not when you're in the presence of this phenomenon you're close to it uh, you're not fully co cogent you like you wonder why you don't see more good photographs and stuff well I had my iPhone with me I, I could have stopped my car I knew that was what I was supposed to do I mean I was chief investigator for MUFON in Southern California this was four years ago wasn't that long ago and I I drove right past that miracle. And the most important thing in the world was for me to not be late to work. And it was a job I didn't really care for. I was still always looking for excuses to not, you know, to be late or something. But I drove right past, didn't take video, didn't take photos, didn't call the press, didn't call MUFON. I was so embarrassed by the way that I, 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 I was ready to fire myself for MUFON. Heard that a lot among uh, experiencers. That <laughs> well, experiencing a craft close up can be the same as experiencing entities. It has the exact same kind of qualities to it. Thanks for listening. For more of an intrepid adventure, go to markglenmore.com. This has been a Paul Robinson production. See you soon. <laughs>